Well, good morning. How are we doing? Awesome. Awesome. One of you guys really excited. Fantastic. All right, let's try that again. Good morning. Awesome. I can't, I can't start with like three people clapping. I just, I can't, I can't, can we, all right, okay. All right, okay, there we go. All right, all right, that's better, that's better, that's better. So I, I have to confess to you, I'm kind of on drugs right now a little bit. Uh, uh, okay, drugs. Uh, uh, but last night I took a, I took a blue pill, um, and uh, it was, it, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I don't know why we're clapping for taking drugs. Uh, but no, it was a Tylenol PM. And for some reason, you know, like I just, I, I had a, I, I took the Tylenol PM and I am just in a fog right now. So if you're new at Grace, Pastor Mike will be back next weekend and I'm just filling in this weekend for him. So uh, really excited about what we're going to do today. Hey, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Can we do that? Can we, let's celebrate that. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. So excited for you mothers, because without you, we would not be here. Uh, really appreciate you guys. Um, and a couple of things. We just, I just want to say, um, again, in all seriousness, how, how, how grateful we are for moms in the room. Uh, you guys are the glue that keeps the family together. You are uh, the, 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 the machinery behind the scenes often. Uh, we recognize that you take on uh, more than just one role. You take on multiple roles and wear multiple hats, and you balance that with grace and dignity, and it is an incredible thing. And so just to mention a couple of things off the top of my head right now, just it's, it's important for us to be able to remember that we've got single moms in the room, We've got women who are struggling with fertility, and we've also had miscarriages. And so what we recognize, and now what I've recognized over the years, is that Mother's Day can be a really wonderful and beautiful time for some people, uh, for some women, uh, but it's a hard time for other women. And so we want to take that into recognition right now and just say thank you no matter where you are in the process of either future motherhood or present motherhood or struggling with uh, the loss of, of, of a child in motherhood uh, before motherhood. Uh, we just recognize that you are awesome and God loves you and he is with you. And we just, we celebrate you here this morning. Can we do that one more time? Come on, let's do that. All right. Um, fantastic. So um, we have been in the book of John for 14, 15 months. And uh, we just finished the book of John last week, but we're continuing in the series of uh, looking at post-resurrection experiences that Jesus has with people. So after Jesus died, the Father raised him from the dead, and when the Father raised him from the dead, he walked around for 40 days. And for 40 days, he introduced himself to people over and over and over again. Some people like the disciples, uh, some who the characters we're going to look at today, these two men walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We don't exactly know where Emmaus is today, but it's about, seven, about approximately seven miles away from Jerusalem. So here are these two men on a road, on a random road. We, we know one of their names. We don't even know what the other guy's name is. And the reality is Jesus spends um, an entire afternoon just with these two people. Because he wants them to understand what has happened. In the early church, right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people didn't immediately sense or have any kind of intuition about the fact that Jesus would rise from the dead 
and that we would worship him as God in that way. And so Jesus' 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension, the word ascension means that he goes to be back with the Father. So he leaves this world, his physical body leaves this world, and he goes and he ascends into heaven. It's a really great story, cloud, whole kind of thing. He goes up and sees, sees the Father and lives and sits now at the right hand of God the Father. And so that 40-day period is what we've been looking at during this series. Now, the story that we jump into right now is part of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all right? The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so today we're looking at Luke, and we're going to look at this story, the, the, the two men on the road from Emmaus. No other gospel holds or contains this story at all. So this is a unique to, to Luke story, but let's go ahead and just jump into it right now. We're going to read probably, um, because there's so much to read today, we're just going to read verses 13 through 27 right now, and then we'll dive into it in greater depth. It starts off like this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, this is right after the resurrection. So what they're talking about is they're talking about Jesus' resurrection. All right. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, why are you so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All right. So let's, let's dive into this right now. The first thing I want you to see is that there is a translation issue here with this text. In Luke 13, it should start off with the word behold, but it doesn't. It's omitted. In some of your Bibles, it's not omitted. So certain translations keep it in, certain translations don't. It's not of severe importance, but the word behold actually uh, is a word that means discern, pay attention, or watch this. Because this is really important. This is a very important thing. Make sure you discern what's going on with these two men because it's important. And one of the things that we show, that one of the things that shows that it's so important is that Jesus spent almost an entire day out of 40 days just with these two random characters. And the first thing that we need to know about them is that we know nothing about Cleopas. And we know nothing even less about his friend uh, because they're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And so Jesus actually spends time talking with two people who really have no religious value whatsoever. Now, they're followers of Jesus, they're disciples of Jesus, but they're not followers of Jesus in the way that we would understand that. 
They don't believe in Jesus the way Christians do today. All they know is that Jesus was here, he was a prophet, he was mighty in deeds and powerful before the people. And the rulers put him to death. And that's all they know. But now Jesus comes to them because they're debating back and forth about the nature of who this Jesus was because they've just gone through. It's the third day. Somebody's actually said they thought they saw Jesus alive. And they don't know what to do with that. And I just want you to understand that makes a lot of sense. Because if you're in the room right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know what to do about a resurrected guy. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, we don't see that. It's not a common occurrence. It wasn't common. It wasn't any more common in the first century than it is today. And so you have people running around saying, we've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus. And then these women who have said, man, we saw an angel who said that he's, he's risen from the dead. And so Cleopas and his buddy are debating the issue back and forth in their hearts and their minds. And they're trying to figure out, like, what does this mean? What are the implications for this? And then Jesus appears. So I want want to start with this whole idea of discernment. Discernment, beholding, is a very important part of the spiritual process. Because for us, one of the things that we have to figure out is, what does all of the stuff in this book mean for us personally? How do we discern its relevance to us on an ongoing basis? How does this make sense? And for some of the room, we recognize right now, because we've said this forever, probably 20% of the people that attend this church are just checking Jesus out, you know, which I love. I think it's fantastic. They're just checking people. They're just checking Jesus out. They're, 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 They're looking at the religious claims of the Bible, and they're asking themselves, is there anything of relevance here? And this entire passage is about men like, the, like you, women like you. People who have gathered together who have not quite figured out what it's like to have an identity that's soaked and wrapped and anchored in Jesus. They, like many of us in the room, they like Jesus. But they're not sure about him. They don't know what that means for them. So let's discover what they discover along this path. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, and that's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So the first thing I want you to see is that after the crucifixion of Jesus, they've basically abandoned town. They've left Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified, and they're walking away. They're going home. Because they've not been able to quite figure this out, and because they're having theological debates, and because they haven't settled their hearts, they're just kind of going back to their old thing. We saw that just a few weeks ago. We saw that with Peter and the disciples after receiving the Holy Spirit, being commissioned to go out and share and spread the gospel. What did the first thing they do? They went fishing. They went back to their old lives. They went back to what was comfortable and what they knew. Because what is comfortable and what we know is often, it often has a pull on our lives. And so here they are walking seven miles from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And then in verse 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing. Now, that's an interesting phrase in the, in the original Greek, talking and discussing. It means it's the, 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 the images that you get from talking and discussing are images of somebody playing baseball, right? It's, it's somebody throwing a ball and then the other guy throwing the ball back, right? And so they're talking and then they're discussing. And the word talking means they're putting an idea on the table and then discussing means that they're arguing about it. So here are these two men walking down this road and they're talking about Jesus and all that happened and they're arguing about it because they can't come to a single mind about it. They can't figure out, like, what does it mean for us to have 
this Jesus in our life. We loved the miracles. We loved seeing him do profound things. We loved his teaching. He was gentle and kind, and clearly he got an end that he did not deserve. But what does that mean for me? They're talking and they're discussing to the other. Jesus himself, it says this, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So listen, if you have a genuine heart that desires to know about God, the Bible simply says all you have to, see, all you have to do is seek and he'll be found. If you have a genuine heart and a desire to know about him, then God will draw near to you. So the, the, this phrase in the Greek again, it means, it means ultimately, it means this, that he that God, the, the emphasis is God himself. God draws close to you as you ask questions about him. As you desire to know him, he desires to be in your life. The more interested that you are in him, the more that you wrestle with your relationship with God, the more that Jesus wants to be present and be a part of that wrestling. And so not only does Jesus come to us, but he comes to them and he literally physically walks with them during the seven miles as they're talking and discussing and throwing that ball back and forth. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm not really sure. And then Jesus just shows up. I want you to understand that your spiritual quest to know God, that spiritual quest to know God is not something that you're doing by yourself. It's not all up to you figured out. You don't have to have all of your I's uh, dotted and your T's crossed. The reality is that God himself is in actual pursuit of you. So, see, this is one of the big misunderstandings about our relationship with God. Many of us think that, that we have to figure out what God's all about. That this invisible man in the sky somehow in some way has hidden himself from us in a way that we just can't understand him. And it's the wise people who can find their way back to him. No. No. In fact, the Bible says that, 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 that God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He, he, wants, he wants ordinary, everyday people like ourselves to be able to have a relationship with him. And that is not based solely upon your intellect, your experience, your background, or whatever. It's based upon him drawing near. And when he draws near to you, all of a sudden now, the questions become different. They, they become broader and bigger. But there are some obstacles along the way to bigger, broader, better questions. And they're right here. Here are some of those obstacles. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So when you read in verse 16, you think, but, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You can read this two ways. You can read it, number one, that somehow, some way, God was keeping their eyes from being able to see who Jesus was. Or, like the, the, the language says here, in a passive sense, their eyes were just kept from it. Now, what does that mean? Well, one of the things that we noticed about Jesus after his resurrection is that he looked and acted a little bit differently right? He appeared differently. If you remember the story, and, and there's no reason, by the way, if you haven't been with us for the next, for the last, you know, 10 weeks, there's no reason you would recognize this story. But if you recognize the story, remember the story about Mary Magdalene. And, and, and Mary, uh, Mary was, she was a mess. I mean, she was a woman who was of questionable character. And in that day, men didn't associate with women of questionable character at all in public. And Jesus reveals himself first to a woman like that. And it's powerful. It changes her whole life. But when Mary first encounters Jesus, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. 
there, there's something about the physical body of Jesus, the resurrected body. There's something about the resurrected body that's better, that's different than the body that we have now. Mine's going to look a lot like Brad Pitt. <laughs> this is what I'm praying for. <laughs> One day, Lord. It's going to be awesome. So my wife's going to be happy to recognize me, which is going to be great. And uh, so, so, so I just want you to look at a couple of scripture passages and see what it means that, that, that these men, they obviously knew who Jesus was. They probably heard him teach. They probably saw him on, the certain, they probably saw him on a mountain. They, they might have even been there for the feeding of the 5,000. But they didn't know him too well, and therefore their eyes didn't see him too well. But I want to look at a couple of scriptures, Mark 16, 12 first. And after that, Jesus, that's, that's the he in this After that, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. Look at another one here. It says that Jesus appeared in a different form. John 20, 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? This is Mary Magdalene. Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Mary comes to the tomb. She doesn't find Jesus. She sees the gardener, what she thinks is the gardener there, and she says, listen, if you've taken the body, all I want to do is finish embalming him, and I want to bury him. What Mary was ready to do with Jesus was put him behind her. Mary wanted to simply put him in the ground and put him behind her because he's dead, he's gone, no one comes back from the dead. Nobody believed that Jesus was was going to be raised from the dead before he did it. The reason why he's walking around for 40 days is because it's unbelievable. It's not reasonable. And so what Jesus did was he didn't wait for people simply to have what what Kierkegaard called the blind leap of faith into the abyss. What he did basically was he said, I'm going to walk among them for 40 days. I'm going to show myself to them so that they have evidence. The early church was not based upon simple faith. It was based upon both faith and evidence. And one of the beautiful things about us is that we see that that you know, through stories like this, we see that there's something different about Jesus after his body's resurrected. He has a different kind of resurrected body. There's something fundamentally different. And so when these men walking along this road on their way to Emmaus see Jesus, they don't immediately recognize him, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Now that's a little coy if you ask me. Right, like he's playing a little coy, right? Like he's asking the question, what are you guys talking about? Jesus is God. He knows what they're talking about already. He knows what's happening right now, but what he does is he asks a question because he's leading them on a path. He wants them to understand. He wants them to get something deeper than just a theological truth. Because they've been doing the theological truth thing. They've been, they've been, they've been throwing the ball back and forth with one another, Right? They've been bantering back and forth. They've been examining the issue. But Jesus is looking for something more from us than theological assent. He's looking for something more from us than just agreement. Jesus is looking for friendship. He's looking for relationship. And so when Jesus asks this question, he's about to get into these guys' lives because they have some obstacles. The first obstacle was they didn't know who he was. They couldn't see him because their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Not necessarily their fault, but their perception of Jesus was skewed. 
And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood there still looking sad. So Jesus says, well, what's going on, guys? And their response, they just kind of look down and they're sad. Why are they sad? Because they believe they've been left on their own. They believe they've been left on their own. So one day, my wife says to me early when, I, when we had our, our daughter, my daughter's 10 years old now, it's 10 years ago, and she says, hey, I need to go somewhere, and I can't remember exactly where she was going, but she said, I need to go somewhere. You're going to need to watch Katie Claire. Now, you got to understand, Katie Claire is like a porcelain doll to me at this point in time in my life. Like, she's just so beautiful, and, and just, I mean, she's, she's, you know, she's probably, I don't know, she's, she's 10 years old now, about the story right here, she's about this big, right? And she's like a porcelain, she, I love her so much, but when it comes to being like, really super like attentive sometimes when Kelly's not around. I'm not. And, and, and here, and so, so, so like it, it even happens now. Like I have all these things that are up in my head all the time. And Kelly's like, Hey, did you feed the children? I'm like, not yet, <laughs> but soon come on, get off my back. So one day she leaves and Katie Claire discovers makeup. And it wasn't that she really discovered makeup. It's that she discovered blue f uh, uh, food coloring. And she thought it was makeup. So I literally come into the room after only what seemed like two minutes, but was probably like 15 or 20. I come in, and Kitty Claire looks like a Smurf. I mean, she is covered head to toe in it. She's like, Daddy, look at what I did. I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself right now, because I don't know anything, right? Okay, so I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh. Is that permanent? Like, is my, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing graduation with a Smurf, you know? You know, I, it's just awful. I'm thinking to myself, this is, and, and, and here's the worst part. I wasn't so concerned for her. I was concerned for myself because Kelly was coming home. You know, and I thought, I thought there's no way. And so, so I got home and I was just like, I'm so, here, you know, and I'm sorry, sorry, I love you. Don't divorce me. You know, and, and she's like, she started laughing and it's just a great moment because she's just, she's got, she's filled with peace. And, and when she started laughing at Katie Claire, Katie Claire started laughing because, you know, I was here like Simba, you know, and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm just waiting for, I'm just waiting for, you know, something to happen. And, and Kelly's like, it's okay, it's all right. And I said, it's not, it's not permanent. She goes, no, it's not permanent. We'll get her into the bath and she'll be fine. I didn't even think to do that. And, uh, you know, it just, like, it just, you know, like, if you're left on your own, if you're left on your own, I mean, something bad's going to happen, and you're going to feel like you're on an island all by yourself. You need someone to come in and sweep in and say, hey, it's going to be okay, and that's what Jesus does right here. He sweeps in, and he says, hey, it's going to be okay. All you need is a bath. But they're sad. They're undone. And it's because they have a misperception of who Jesus is. They're, they're literally talking about him and he's present and they've missed him for the second time in their life. And, and what's really remarkable to me about the whole thing is that unless we have a clear understanding and friendship with Jesus... If we can move from isolation and being alone, statistics, I wrote an article for our new magazine. And in a Gallup poll recently, it said that millennials, 
who I just love to death, they are like so entrepreneurial and smart and ahead of the curve in so many ways. I mean, I think the world of these guys. But the, but the, but the poll said that they're the loneliest generation in recent history. The loneliest generation in, in recent history. And I think the major reason for that is because they don't have an anchor. And I would say the same thing's true for us, that we don't have an anchor. That, that, that sometimes, sometimes when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on the world around us and the hopes that that one day is going to make us okay, the problem with that is that we're alone and bad things happen when we're alone. There are three key elements here that take these men's minds from sadness and aloneness and isolation to feeling connected. And not, not only that, but at the end of the story, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because they've got a big story to tell. There are three things. The first is this. Jesus opens the scriptures to them. He opens the scriptures to them. He tells them about how the Old Testament, starting with Moses. And so they probably went all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 3.15, the first preaching of the gospel called the Proto-Evangelion, right? That God promises Eve. He says, listen, I know that you guys have sinned. I know that you've fallen short. I know that you're out of fellowship with me now. There's no connection anymore. We're not friends right now. But one day, Eve, Eve, you're going to give birth. And one of your daughters down the road is going to give birth to a son, and he's going to conquer evil once and for all. He's going to open a way for people to go to heaven. He's going to bring life to a dead world. And one day, Eve, you'll be saved through him. And he went from Moses to the prophets, from the, from the prophets to the priests, to the kings, to the judges, and then to Jesus. And he said, this is all... Here's how my life, these, these, these 33 years, fulfilled all of these prophecies. And they still didn't see it, but, but hearing the word was the necessary precondition for them to have their eyes opened. And we're heading toward the moment in which their eyes are opened. And, and they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know what these, these things that have happened in these days? Which is hilarious, because they're all about Jesus. Right? Are you, so he doesn't see him. He's missed him for the second time. And he said to them, what things? Jesus, again, is leading them down. This is kind of Socratic questioning right now. Jesus is asking them questions to lead them to a specific place. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, and listen to these words, mighty in deeds. In other words, the things that he did with his actions, they were mighty. And word, his words and the word of God flowed through him in a powerful way before God and before all the people. So here's Jesus. He is filled with mighty deeds and words that come from God, and everyone saw it, and everyone knew it. And in verse 20, he says, and how our chief priests, now you got to recognize the chief priests and rulers, these are the religious elite in Jerusalem. And these two random men that we'll never hear from again in the Bible only have this one moment that's just this camera lens on them right now. These, for, for, for the most part, like spiritual nobodies, 
Jesus says, I'm going to spend my, like one out of 40 of my days I'm going to spend with you. I'm going to stay with you at your house. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to pour myself into you. Why? Because they recognized who Jesus was intellectually. They just didn't yet have a friendship with him. But, verse 21, but we had hoped. No, no greater um, phrase than we had hoped causes hopelessness than that. They, they said we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had all these expectations about Jesus. They, they thought that Jesus was going to come and liberate them from Roman tyranny. Or the, the, the Jews were slaves of Romans at this point in time. They had some kind of autonomy and some self-government, but for the most part, you know that even a gilded cage is still a cage. And they wanted out of their cage. They wanted Jerusalem to be their, their headquarters, their, their national uh, home. And they wanted Rome out. And what they were waiting for was a Messiah who would come and liberate them. They, they were looking for somebody like Leonidas, Right? From history, they were looking for somebody like a Spartan warrior who was going to come and say, All right, Rome, you're out. We're in. And here you've got these two men who are just walk, who have stopped with Jesus or talking to him. Their heads are down. They're sad. And this is the reason why they're sad. The expectations of what they thought Jesus was going to be didn't meet up with who Jesus was. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. In other words, we don't see any resurrected Jesus. And there's a resurrected Jesus with them. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. Now listen, if this guy Luke was writing a book about a guy who was resurrected that really wasn't resurrected, would never, never, never point to a woman's testimony. He wouldn't. In the first century, a woman's testimony was inadmissible in court. I'm not saying it was right. It's just the way that it was in the first century. And so Luke, understand Luke was a physician, the writer of this book. He was a physician. He would have been savvy enough to understand the culture around him and know that I don't appeal to a woman to be able to say, hey, this is true. And so he says, hey, listen, there was some women, and they had a vision of some angels. They saw some angels that told them things about Jesus. It's remarkable, ladies. And... It's important to note that Jesus revealed himself first to a woman and then second to a woman who was a sinner. Because Jesus was turning upside down some conventionalities of the first century. He was opening a door that the disciples would then follow like Luke and say, no, no, some, some, I, want you to re, I want you to record this. Some women saw this and they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us who were with them, uh, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. In other words, the women weren't lying. They were telling the truth. But we didn't see Jesus. And then Jesus turns to him and says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. That sounds really harsh. It's not in the original language. He says, you guys, you're not paying attention right now. And the phrase slow of heart means you're not super concerned about knowing everything. Like you just want to know a little bit about this, this, you know, this thing that you're tossing the ball back and forth on. They're discussing, they're conversing, they're talking about. You just want to know a little bit more about that, but you're slow of heart. Your passion is not to know and understand who I am. You just want to know about me. And guys, there are plenty of people in the world that know a lot about Jesus, 
There are scholars that can tell you deep and wonderful things about the knowledge of the original Hebrew and the original Greek and the Aramaic in the book. And yet they're not friends with Jesus. At the end of the day, the reason why he calls them foolish is because they're relying upon their own knowledge and their own belief. And they think somehow, some way, that knowledge and that belief will open up the door of heaven to them. Martin Luther, in 1529, said these words. We cannot believe by our own reason or strength. It is by the Holy Spirit that one comes to believe. The way that we become followers of Jesus is not simply by reasoning our way into the kingdom of God, but by revelation. And this is what Jesus says in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart, all the prophets have spoken. In other words, you have the entire Old Testament to tell you what is true, and you have missed it. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. Now, verse 28 through 30 is just mysteriously mysterious. Here it is, okay? And then I want to kind of give you some, some thoughts on it, and we're going to conclude. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going on farther, but, he, but they urged him strongly. Now, you need to know in Middle Eastern cultures, one of the things that's true is that they have a very profound sense of hospitality. And so when they ask Jesus to stay, this is not an optional thing. They are pressing him. There, there is an urgency to their request in this that you cannot go on. You can't do it. You have to. You must stay with us. Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, he took bread and blessed. Now, one of the things I want you to see is Jesus here reverses the order of hospitality. They say, you must stay with us. They are the masters of the house. But Jesus takes the place of honor, and what does Jesus do? He takes the bread, and he begins serving them. So the, the very task that the one who owned the house was required to do, Jesus took himself and put him in that position. And then listen to these words and see if they do not remind you of something. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like communion. That's right. It sounds like communion. In fact, let's look at Luke twenty-two nineteen, where it gives us some of these words. Luke twenty-two nineteen, And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. All right? And so, so most scholars believe that what happens here is that Jesus serves these two men communion. Right? He serves them communion. And look at what happens. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and what? And their eyes were open. So as soon as they received communion, all of a sudden now, they see. It's really, really clear for them now. They get it for the very first time. There are three things that are necessary for you to be able to take your next step toward Christ, both for the first time and for the rest of your life. Number one, number one is this, the preaching of God's word. Number two, number two, is the context of worship. And then number three is communion, the Eucharist. That's scripture, it's proclamation, and it's communion. And these three things are the essential components for us to come to Jesus for the first time and for us to grow in Christ. So for us, one of the things that we recognize is that Jesus preached to them. He opened the scriptures. He told them who he was from the scriptures, and then he served them communion. And in that moment, when he served them communion, their eyes were open for the very first time. 
And then what happens? And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked talked to us on the road? In other words, while Jesus is walking and telling them about the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled all the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament, there was something inside of them that they knew was true. It was resonating with them. Verse 33, and they rose at that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. So they, they just walked seven miles to Emmaus. They rose the next morning, they get up and they walk seven miles back to Jerusalem. Why? Because you have to go back where the action is when you're a part of the action. And they found the 11, the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is dead at this point. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. At this point, he's already revealed himself to Peter and he's now revealing himself to the rest. Verse 35, then these guys who walked from Emmaus back to Jerusalem, they says this, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It was the scriptures, the proclamation of the gospel. And it was communion that finally opened the hearts and minds of somebody for the very first time. And these are the three graces that we continue to walk in as Christians. We continue to be able to live by these things. We live by the scriptures. We live by the preaching of the word. We live through communion, having grace poured into us. It's such an amazing and beautiful thing to think that God takes ordinary things, ordinary vessels, and uses them for extraordinary means, ordinary elements, and uses them for extraordinary things. Something physical becomes spiritual to us. And I love how one theologian encapsulates, uh, encapsulates this. Arlen Hudgrens says this. The setting for most persons to come to faith is Christian worship, which includes scripture, proclamation, and sacrament. That is also where the faith of all is sustained. In other words, we don't just come to Jesus with this, but we are sustained and continue in Jesus with these three things. That is also where the faith of all is sustained. It is the place where Jesus continues to reveal himself. The Christian faith is born and nurtured where people share and worship through word, gesture, and earthly means such as water, bread, and wine, and tactile expressions of mutual care, the smile, the clasp of another's hand, perhaps even an embrace. So last week, um, it rained. You remember that? terrible rain here last week. Can I, I just want to shout out to a group of people within our church. And that, were, that, that is the people who park your cars and the people who are the front door people. So last weekend it started to pour and all of us were sitting in the background going, man, no one is ever going to show up in a monsoon. And we had huge numbers of people who showed up last week. You're insane. Okay. Now listen, this is so awesome. Listen, and at the door, this is Hillary Wyatt. She's the girl right back there on the soundboard, shaking her head because she's an introvert. And, uh, and uh, so everyone look at her and wave at her. Okay, all right, that's Hillary. And so uh, she had this idea, let's hand out towels. Now it's a little thing, right? But I heard from new person after new person after new person. Thank you so much for just thinking about us and handing out a towel. That was like above and beyond anything. It was a towel. But you know what it was? It was a tactile expression of the gospel. It was a simple way of being able to say, hey, we're so glad you're here. And then we went to New Smyrna Beach on uh, Monday, because pastors only work on Sundays. And, uh, and uh, so we went, to, we went to New Smyrna Beach on Monday, and, uh, and, it, and it was great. It was awesome. And I don't know who you are. I didn't get a good sense for it, but here's what happened. We're eating, right? And the waiter comes up, 
And uh, he goes, he goes, I, I don't want you to look right now, but there's somebody in the corner. We were like, what? There's somebody in the corner. I'm not supposed to say anything. I'm like, so we're looking around for like Brad Pitt, you know? I'm like, like where's Brad Pitt? You know, looking for somebody famous, right? So we didn't see anybody famous. And I don't know which one of you guys are, but somebody paid our bill from Grace. And guy goes, he goes, he goes, uh, and I wish I would have ordered the lobster. And, uh, and, uh, and he goes, he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, they just, he said that you were their pastor and they just wanted to bless you. I just want to say, the gospel is found simply walking the road with other people. Doing ordinary things. Sharing the gospel, reading the scriptures, taking communion, and seeing lives changed. And you know where we get that from? The very, very first person in the world that teaches us that is mom. She's the first one that hugs us and holds us and loves us. And mom is the first one that sets us on that path towards faith. And we bless you. Father, we thank you for our time together today. And we recognize, Lord, that there are those who are far from you but need to be close to you. Thank you for your pursuit of us. Thank you for loving us, God, with a love that is unending. Thank you, Father, for these ordinary means of grace. Thank you for your word, God, that clarifies to us who you are. And, Father, it is when we have expectations upon you that are false and wrong that we find ourselves standing still sad and dejected. So, Father, may we read your word and know your name. May we find friendship with you. And, God, for those who are far, may they find the friendship of the Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.